Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Second Kings chapter number 13, Second Kings chapter 13, and I'll begin reading there with verse 14. I know I just was in Second Kings Sunday evening, um, but a little different place here in the scripture. Second Kings chapter 13 and verse 14, now Elisha was fallen sick of his sickness whereof he died, and Joash the king of Israel came down unto him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. Now I want you to notice something. This ought to be a signal to us that this is something significant that is happening because this is the same statement that Elisha made when Uh, Elijah was caught up into the heavens by a whirlwind in a fiery chariot. He made this same statement, and there was a transition that took place and that he, Elisha, received a mantle at that point, and uh, his prayer or his desire was answered for a double portion of Elijah's spirit was placed upon him. Here we're seeing the passing of this prophet now, And he says this very same statement, Oh, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And Elisha said unto him, Take bow and arrows. And he took unto him bow and arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put thy hand upon the bow. And he put his hand upon it. And Elisha put his hand upon the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. I want you to understand that all of these things have symbolism and they have, there's a reason in that particular culture that these things were done. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow deliverance from Syria. For thou shalt smite the Syrians at Aphek till thou have have consumed them. And he said, Take the arrows, and he took them, and he said, Unto the king of Israel, Smite upon the ground. And he smote thrice and stayed. And the man of God was wroth with him and said, Thou shouldst have smitten five or six times. Then hadst thou smitten Israel, or Syria rather, Till thou hadst consumed it, whereas now thou hast, thou shalt smite Syria but thrice. I want to use this text to teach a little bit here tonight from this subject: the perils of passiveness. The perils of passiveness. I know that might seem at first like a, a bit of a negative title, but I certainly don't want to leave off with a negative message tonight. I feel like the Lord has put something very positive in my spirit. Uh, However, I do know 
that this Bible is not just a book of positive thinking. Amen. For us to have positive, productive lives, we've got to realize that there's areas that we as human beings have to counteract certain things that are only natural for us to slip into as our nature being a sinful nature uh, left to itself will lead us to. And so we have to do things purposely to counteract that. And that's why we implement disciplines in our walk with God. And I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. Let's lift up our voice to the Lord and let's pray together that he would help us and he would bless in the remainder of this service. Jesus, I need your guidance and your help, your strength, your direction, your anointing here tonight. Your word is already anointed. I pray that you would anoint it to our hearts. pray that we would be receptive to it, receive from it, and apply it, God, and become fruitful as a result. In Jesus' name, we thank you for these things. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name. Would you give glory to the Lord again? <coughs> Praise God. Thank you so much for standing. You may be seated. I recognize that this passage is a well-worn portion of the Word of God, and many of us have heard this particular story. But what I want to deal with tonight it would not necessarily add to your understanding of this story overall, but let me, let me uh, give you a little bit of foreground or backdrop to the setting of this story. We know and understand that Elisha is one of two of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, second really only to Elijah, which was his mentor, or the man that he followed and allowed to influence his life. And uh, there's a lot of debate as to why that Elijah is considered greater uh, as a prophet than Elisha by many theologians. We know that Elisha did have, in fact, a double portion of the spirit of uh, Elijah. And Elisha had twice as many notable miracles, according to Bible scholars, as did Elijah. Nevertheless, it might have been because of the way that uh, Elijah was caught up from the earth and did not have a natural death. Maybe that is the reason why uh, for uh, Elijah being considered in many people's minds, a greater prophet. Nonetheless, Elisha is a great prophet. And these two prophets were sent into the most cold, spiritually dark, and backslidden portion of Israel. Uh, but as uh, many have uh, said, uh, light shines the brightest in the darkest places. And so we see the contrast here of how great these men were and how much they were anointed of the Lord. They were not sent into the southern region of Judah, but into the northern region, which was very spiritually depraved. And that depravity had prevailed since the reign of Jeroboam, who was the one... 
that was part of the split between the northern southern kingdom and took over uh, the northern kingdom and led uh, the people of God into idolatry. We remember the story of how he was concerned that people would travel back to Jerusalem to worship their God. This was the central place where people would go and worship Jehovah. And so he set an idol up in two different places to make it more convenient in his way of selling these idols. But his main reason for doing that was that he did not want them to go back to Jerusalem and come under the influence of the people of Judah. And uh, he could keep them uh, in the northern region under his rule, under his reign. And that is the reason for him setting up these two idols. But because of his influence, he cast a long shadow. Matter of fact, he becomes kind of the plumb line or the example that is used throughout uh, the scripture, when you read these historical books about the kings of the northern kingdom, uh, they will many times say that he followed after or he lived out the sins of Jeroboam. And so this becomes the standard for someone that is spiritually depraved, somebody that is sinful and, and is backslidden. And you know of the encounters between Elijah and the conflicts that existed between him and the wicked king Ahab and, of course, his wife Jezebel. But now Elisha has come upon the scene and we have seen many miracles and God has used him and the conditions of Israel has improved in some ways. Uh, in some aspects. Uh, it's not a perfect situation, but now Elisha, just uh, natural causes, a sickness comes, which is the sickness whereof he dies, the scripture says. And Joash, the king of the time, has respect. And so you can see by that that there is an improvement in the conditions overall the spiritual conditions of Israel. And he has respect for uh, Elisha. And he comes to pay him a visit. He knows that this is a man of God. And Joash had to realize that when he came into the presence of Elijah by the things that Elisha asked of him and the commands that he made of him, he had to realize the significance of them. He said, take thy bow, put it in your hands. And he guides him through this process. And I will not get into all the minute details of that. And he tells him to open the window eastward. In my study of this, this is sort of like a declaration of war. And there's a lot of symbolism, as I've said, behind all of these actions. And he tells him to shoot the arrow. And as we read this, each time Elisha asks him something, he dutifully and obediently does exactly what he has told. He, he does not leave one detail out. He does it exactly like he is commanded to do. And he strictly, if I could say it this way, obedient to the commands of Elisha. And I just want to take a moment and talk about that. Uh, 
it is easy for us in our relationship and walk with God to adopt an attitude that I'm going to do exactly what I must do, what I'm required to do, and I'm going to follow in detail the things that are commanded of me in the Word of God and no more, or no more than what I'm instructed to do. And that is basically the attitude of people of the Old Testament under the law. They would follow that to its detail. And they were very uh, closely, uh, well, they would very closely follow and adhere to the strictness of the law. But then uh, beyond that, they, they would do no more. That, that is what governed their life. And when Jesus comes on the scene, he tells a man that says, I've done all of these things from my youth. He said, wait a minute. You've got all of these things down. You, you've got all of these commands to the T. But he said, there's one more thing you need to do. What is he asking him? He's not asking him something that he draws necessarily from the law and commands him to do. But he's saying, I want to see if you're willing to go beyond in your devotion. Are you willing to go beyond just the disciplines and the commands and the duties of the law? Do you have a love for me and a relationship for the things of God that goes beyond that? And that's basically what the Lord is trying to introduce is a desire and a love and a relationship that goes beyond just give me the rules and I'll obey the rules, but have a devotion and a passion for God that supersedes that and goes beyond that. Not having the attitude, if I can see it and you can give me black and white, then I'll do it, but having the attitude, if he just hints that that's what he's pleased with, if I just get some type of indication that that's what he wants, Amen. That's what I am going to do. And really, that's what worship is all about. Amen. Uh, worship is going beyond just what is required and saying, Lord, because I love you, because I desire to serve you with my whole heart, because I want, I want you to know how much I appreciate your blessings and goodness in my life. I'm going to live according to your will and your word. But God, I want to give more to you than just that. I want to give you more. I want to give you all. And so I'm giving you a sacrifice of what? Praise. Amen. And uh, we, we find that there was required sacrifices in the word of God. And then there was sacrifices that were beyond that. There were sacrifices that was obligated and there was sacrifices in the word of God that come from the heart of the person that was giving the sacrifice which is a type to you and I that in living for God our worship and our service and our giving to the Lord is going beyond just what is required. When I come to God's house, nobody has to encourage me too much to worship God and to give thanks unto the Lord. When I enter into His sanctuary and consider His mercies in my life that I am not worthy of, then I don't have much need much encouragement to clap my hands, to lift my voice, 
to sing the songs of praise because I love him. I'm giving him a sacrifice of praise. I wonder if right now we couldn't just take a moment and give the Lord a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. I know it's Wednesday night, but I wonder if somebody came with a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. I come to worship you because you're good to me and you bless me. And God, I know it may not be required, but I want to put something on the altar tonight that shows how much I love you, how much I appreciate you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's all right. Let's go ahead and give some praise to him right now. Man, I, I really, I really feel this in my spirit right here. Because uh, can I tell you that you're obligated to do that? No. Can I tell you that you will not be saved if you don't respond in a certain way and uh, you do not uh, worship God in a certain way? Or am I the judge of how passionate you should be or how much? You should be involved in a particular worship service and what have you. No, I'm not to be the, the metric for that. I'm not to be the judge for that. I, I'm not to, to measure that or compare that to somebody else. But God knows. And when God looks down upon us and looks at our worship and our praise, does He see it as being uh, from our heart, first of all. And secondly, does he see it as being a devotion to him that is commensurate with all that he's done for us? When he thinks about all that he's saved us from, and only you know really your testimony. Only you know how merciful God has been. We can, as outsiders, stand and say, well, God's been merciful to that person and God has shown a lot of grace to that individual. But I'm going to tell you, nobody knows like the recipient of God's grace. Nobody knows like the person that has been dug out of the pit. Nobody knows like the person that has had his blood cleanse them. Nobody knows like the one that has been bound and knows the depths of how, how much they were bound and how bogged down in sin that they were and how shackled and how chained and locked down in their spirit but suddenly through the grace and the mercies of God he touched your life transformed you and you're in this house and when you think about that that's when you ought to give him some praise not just because a preacher's asking for it not just because it would be a good thing to do but because you love him and because you want to praise him Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. One of the fears that I have is that we might be losing spontaneous worship in Pentecost today. Because, and we might as ministers be the fault of this, because we say, we often prompt people and and we say, everybody, let's do this. Everybody, let's do that. And as a result, we have subconsciously taught people. And I don't think there's necessary. I don't think the motive is wrong. I don't think that we're doing that in a wrong motive. I think we're encouraging people because we know the results that come. We know the blessings that can come to a person's life. 
we understand it's beneficial to praise the Lord. We understand that it's in that atmosphere. And I could go into a whole teaching session about, about all of that and the blessings. But I think we know that as a congregation. We've, we've reaped the benefits many times. So because we understand that, we, we, we sometimes remind folks, hey, let's, let's enter in. Let's focus our minds. Let's harness, let's harness our uh, minds to, to worship and, and get a hold of God because uh, we need the Lord and we desire the Lord to move and, and we, we understand that this is going to help people and be a blessing to people. But there's just something about it when the Spirit of God moves into a place. People ought to be responsive. First of all, to even be aware of that, you've got to be sensitive to it. You've got to be open and receptive and keen to what's going on. Praise the Lord. But when that Spirit of the Lord moves, do you think, are you saying, Pastor, that the only time we should respond and worship and praise to God is when we feel a certain feeling? I'm absolutely not saying that. Matter of fact, I think there's times when you have to move out in faith and because you understand and because you know that God moves in an atmosphere of worship and praise and thanksgiving and that's how you enter into that place where His presence is. What did the psalmist say? Enter His courts with thanksgiving and with praise and when we do so, when we open up our hearts and when we give praise unto the Lord and sometimes we got to step out, we got to get out of our comfort zone so to speak and we've got to move in faith and 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 like the psalmist said in psalms 100 make a joyful noise last time i looked up that word make it means to manufacture well that sounds like you're getting the flesh involved well what else do you have to worship god with Amen. You gotta move out. You gotta make something happen sometimes. Say it ain't just going, uh, or it isn't just going just, just right for me right now. Well, I'm gonna tell you, sometimes you gotta make it happen. You gotta make a joyful noise under the Lord. You may not feel it, but you gotta make a joyful noise under the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so we are constantly we're constantly in need of, in a struggle with this spirit of apathy that can come upon us. Elisha even explained that this is the arrow. I want you to understand this is the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. Come on, a light bulb should go off, Joash. This should have caused his heart to leap for joy. He should have been thrilled and enthused that this enemy that he's struggled with and that's been a tough foe for him, that God is going to help him to overcome. Yet when he's asked to smite the ground, he's very passive about it. And he has no passion. And you can see that apathy has settled in. And he just kind of does what he's obligated to do. He, he just does in obedience. Again, he's strictly obeyed up until this point, so he's going to continue to do that. But that's not what the prophet is looking for here. He's looking for something that goes beyond just strict obedience. He's looking for something that goes beyond just coming up to the line of average. He's looking for something that goes beyond just the Status quo. 
question has been asked to us recently. Do we just want to be status quo? Do we just want to be average? And I think this is a decision that only you can make. Nobody can make it for you. Maybe Elisha stumbled after watching this and his weak and sick condition. Maybe he stumbles back to his bed and lies down and in disappointment pulls the covers up over his head and thinks to himself, how foolish. Here was a grand opportunity because as much as you put into this, I was planning, God was planning. He was planning to give you victory over your enemies. As much as you smote the ground, I was going to smite. And had you smitten the ground five or six times, so will you have smitten Syria. But because of your passiveness, you're only going to have minimal victory. This is an opportunity that could have not only changed Joash's life, but it could have changed his kingdom. And not only his rule and his kingdom and his reign and his influence, but it could have changed an entire nation, you understand. So it's beyond just us. When I don't respond to God like I need to, it does not just impact me, you understand. It, un, it impacts a whole lot of people. When I'm not obedient to the Spirit, when I do not yield to the Holy Ghost, when I do not move when God is asking me to move, when I do not respond when God is giving me the opportunity to respond, it's not just a spiritual setback for me, but it could be a hindrance to others. Amen? That's why as saints of God, we have a responsibility in each church service to be sensitive to the voice of the Lord and be obedient and respond in faith as we should because we should not sit back in selfishness and say, well, you know, I can pass on the blessing tonight because I, I really don't need it as, as, as much as, as others perhaps need it. And so I'm just going to check out in my mind or in my spirit tonight. That is not an option, folks. The arrow's in your hands. He said, I'm, I'm putting this in your hand. I'm putting, the, I'm putting the fate of a nation. I'm putting the fate of your legacy as a king in your hands. Everything is placed in your hands. And what you do is not just going to affect you, Joash, but it's going to affect a whole lot of people around you. And we need to be reminded of that because I think the principle is true to you and I. The peril of passiveness is that it's a missed opportunity that a lot of times never comes back around. We never read. Immediately after this, we begin to read about the death of Elisha and him being thrown into the tomb. And when his body touches those old bones in that tomb, those men come to life constituting the 14th miracle that would happen that would make it exactly double the miracles of Elijah. And so what are you saying? I'm saying opportunities missed sometimes can never be reclaimed. We can never go back and gather this up again. It's, it's like water on the ground. It cannot be gathered back up. It's gone. It's wasted. And what is the culprit here? There's a preoccupation with something that is hindering Joash, 
from responding like you should. And I begin to think of how sometimes we become preoccupied. Come on, this is not this temptation for a few. This is a temptation for all, myself being included. Every one of us can become preoccupied, and it's the job of the devil to cause us to become preoccupied. It's the duty of the enemy to, if he cannot get a person to fall into sin or to go out into worldliness or carnality or those types of things, then he will get them preoccupied when spiritual opportunities avail themselves. And as a result, he'll hinder the church or he'll hinder the blessings of God from coming to his people simply for no other reason than them just being too preoccupied to be sensitive to what's going on. And I'm going to tell you, preoccupation with things is heightened now more than it's ever been. That's more of a deal and more of a thing now in our society than it's ever been. Never has our world been more busy than it is now. More responsibilities we've never had than right now. More, more things going on and more things to process in our minds than we ever have before. I've noticed even here, and I, I'm not saying this to discipline anybody, but I, I do think it's, I, I, it is grieving and it is a, a, a concern and it is something that I, I can't get my mind around necessarily. I don't even know why uh, this happens. But I have noted in this congregation people, uh, I don't I guess they're, they're texting one another across the congregation because you see it light up over here and it lights up over there. You see it light up here, it lights up back there. And I'm thinking, come on now. That's really, really, really stepping over the line. And, you know, we can't legislate everything around here. But if you think God doesn't see that, you're really out of it. And you think that you can do that and hear what God is trying to say and receive from God. And you can use that and you, could, you can have a conversation going on uh, through the church like that. That's, that's crazy. Amen. And I, I'm, just, I'm just giving you my heart tonight. I'm not saying this necessarily as a rebuke, but I'm saying that I'm grieved for you. I'm grieved for you because I don't think you're going to get by with that. I just really don't think that's a good thing and a good habit for you to get into. If you can't disconnect for the hour and a half, two hours that we're here, you've got an issue. You've got a problem. You've you got too much ADD. You've you got something going on that you, you need to leave that thing alone. Put that in your purse. Put that in your pocket and leave it. Turn it off. Don't just silence it. Turn the thing off. And say, you know what? I'm giving this time unto God. And, and I think that is imperative. And I, I, I just really think that it's going to be impossible for you not to, not to allow yourself to miss so many things that God is trying to do. And, and you can't have your mind over here and get what's going on here. This requires focus. And to be focused requires you to really put effort forth. Especially, again, in this day that we're living in. Requires you to really put some effort forth. 
And, and it's important that we take this time, the time that we have to pray, that we really spend it praying because it's not that long. And the time that we have to worship, we really spend it worshiping. The time that we have to hear from the Word of God, that we really spend it hearing the Word of the Lord that is going forth. And the altar service, that we not just come down as obedient uh, people just to the altar and I appreciate that but we connect with what's going on at the altar and that is vitally important and I'm going to tell you you know there's a lot of things we can use to preoccupy our children but I'm going to tell you you got to start training them somewhere somehow to get in tune with what's going on at church amen praise God say well you know uh, well my they didn't have all that stuff when I was growing up. He said, well, you know, you're, this is a different day. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> the day we're living is going to require a whole lot more that we focus in on what's going on and be in tune with what's going on because we're fighting things that we never fought before. So if you've ever needed church, if you've ever needed to get tuned in, if you've ever needed to hear the Spirit speak to you, if you've ever needed the Word of God to strengthen your faith, you need it now. And so it requires that you get tuned in. Praise God. And, and you know, it takes a little bit effort beyond just, just being present to do that. Some people say, well, just, you know, I'm present. That, that should mean everything. No. For you to get the benefits of what's, what's going on, you've got to connect to the Spirit. Preoccupation is a problem. We can be thinking about a project at home. We can be thinking about, and I know this time of the year, uh, kids, particularly college kids, are thinking about finals and, and uh, work schedules and vacations and dreams and ambitions. And, you know, none of those things are wrong in their place. But when we come here, we've got to make an effort to block it out. We've got to tune in to God because there is a peril with passiveness. When we become passive in our relationship with God and preoccupied with other things, then we're going to miss opportunities that God has planned for us. You know, as new converts and coming into to the things of God, there there's always an eagerness to get to the house of God and to get plugged in. You need to ask yourself, why do I not have that same eagerness? It's not God's fault, and it's not the church's fault. It's not anybody at the church's fault. The problem was with us. We, When we started living for God and when we came into the church, it, it wasn't about all of those things. We weren't even aware of those things. We didn't. We weren't aware. We didn't know the songs, whether we liked them or we didn't like them. We, we didn't know. We, didn't, we, just, we didn't care if if it was a, uh, an 18-year-old boy standing up there preaching the Word of God or it was a, an accomplished preacher, we, di we didn't care so much. But we were there to receive from the Spirit of God and we had an appetite for the things of God. And we've got to get that back. We've got to get that back. We've got to stir up that gift that is within us. We've got to get that hunger. We've got to get that desire. We have to have that. You can't have less passion and expect to be saved. 
Matter of fact, in a relay race on the last lap, they always put the man that is able to run the fastest there and make up any deficit. I'm going to tell you, we're in the last lap. This is the last days, friends. We're living in the last of those days, and it's time that we put as much passion into this as we possibly can. Come on now, you going to pat a cake or are you going to really give your heart to God and say, God, I realize that I've got to do something to confront this apathy in my life. It is written in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 3 and also quoted in Romans chapter 9 and verse 13. Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated. And those seems like, seem like a strong Hard saying in the text. But let's, let's think about Esau here. Let's think about the advantages that he had. He was the eldest son. Tradition was he would just have the blessing given to him. He was privileged because he was the eldest. It was the custom of Israel or of those people that this would just be passed down. You know, this is one of the things that we have to really guard against is the same thing that happened to Esau. We just get to assuming because we have a revelation of the truth or because we have been raised for the most part in church. And I'm speaking to myself because that includes me. We get to thinking because we've been around so long and that it's just going to naturally, we're going to just naturally be saved because, you know, we, we come to church and we're a member and we, we pay our tithe and we do all of those things and you need to do those things. You must do those things. But beyond that, beyond that, we have to guard against this attitude that you find pervasive in the life of Esau that, that, he, that he just didn't really have a passion for the things of God. Matter of fact, his passion was in the field. He was a man of the field, the Bible says. And, and he had the desire to go out there. And he was a great hunter. And he put all of his skills into that. And all of his passion and, and all of his, he honed that talent. And again, there's nothing that says in the Word of God that there's a commandment against those things. But it was the lack of balance. It was the passion for that over the passion for the things of God. That's the thing that God hated about Esau as he let everything come before his serving God. And I've got a mind that kind of just runs wild, but maybe... When he heard his grandfather speaking about the stories of how God had been so faithful through the years. Abraham, the father of the faithful. And he would be in the presence of this great man. And he was telling the stories of miracles that God had done for the people of God. And how God called him out of the earth of the Chaldees. And how that God had made him some promises. And, and brought him through some trials. And and helped him to oversee and overcome uh, some things in his life. And he's telling these stories. And 
It just seems to be going in one ear and out the other. Matter of fact, Esau, he's thinking about something else out there. He's got his mind on something else out there. He's not thinking about what his great or his grandfather is saying, or maybe even it was his dad at times that would tell those stories. And he's not thinking. He doesn't he doesn't really take it to heart because he's preoccupied with something else. And he never really has a passion for spiritual things. He just kind of relies upon his privilege. He relies upon his what the custom is and what the tradition is of the day. And just kind of leans on that, assuming that that's going to get him through while there's somebody else standing over here eagerly saying, if he doesn't want it, I want it. If he doesn't desire it, I want you to know I desire it. If he's not hungry for it, I'm hungry for it. Can I tell you, that's just the way it works. We see that even with the people that was considered the people of God, the Jews, the Hebrews. They they rejected him. He came unto his own, and his own, the Scripture says, received him not. But as to many, the Gentiles were standing over here and saying, hey, if they're going to turn their back on you, and if they're going to be finicky about it, and if they don't have any appetite for you, I want you to know, we can we could be a worshiper. We we could be somebody that would give honor to you. We, we'll live for you. We'll serve you. We, we'll dedicate our lives to you. Just give me a chance to be a worshiper. Just give me a chance at being a part of your kingdom. Just give me an opportunity to be a child of God. Just let me have an opportunity to be grafted in. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people that wish they were sitting right here tonight instead of in a jail cell or instead of in a drug-infested room and bound up, amen, by the things of this world. There's a lot of people, though they may not be able to understand that it's here what they're looking for, they wish they could feel and experience the peace, the joy, and the power of the Holy Ghost that you experience when you come here. Hallelujah. Let's not take this for granted. Just don't, just don't have the attitude of passiveness. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm here. Oh, yeah. Praise Jesus. Let's have an attitude. God, you've been too good to me for that. Because like Esau, a second peril of passiveness is we forfeit the blessings of God. Come on, we don't have a corner market on this thing. We don't have a monopoly going on here. God's been good to us and merciful to us. But we don't have the reins of this thing. We don't have control of this thing. He does. This is his church. And he said, I can bring one up and I can put another down. That's my choice. You don't have any control over that. Amen? And so I want to be a part of those that say, God, I'm living for you out of love and dedication and devotion to you. And then finally, I don't know of anyone that illustrates what I'm saying any more than King Saul. First Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 3 tells us that the ark was never inquired of. The ark of the Lord, typical of the presence of God, typical of the glory of the Lord. All of the days of Saul, he never inquired of the ark of the Lord. 
What a statement. Never once did he think about bringing the ark and, and establishing a place for the glory of God to dwell. But in contrast, David assumes the throne, and almost from day one, he desires, how can I bring, that was the prayer, how can I bring the ark of the Lord to me? In other words, I want the presence of the Lord close. I need his blessings and approval in my life. How can I bring it? I, I want to establish a place. I look around at the kingdoms around, and they, they got these great, magnificent houses of worship. And The ark of the Lord is not respected like it needs to be, and the presence of the Lord is not respected like it needs to be. And Saul has just been passive about it. And so David, we know, and I don't have time to go through the story in the process, and he has some, some missteps, but finally he figures it out. And that's just the way that people that are passionate are. They may have some stumblings, and they may have some mistakes that they make. But you know you can always tame somebody in some areas, but you can't put vigor in somebody and passion in somebody that doesn't have it in the first place. Amen? Brother Lorman here, again, he's a horseman. He knows all about that. You get out on a trail ride, the last thing you want on a 20-mile trail ride is a horse that is deadheaded and doesn't want to doesn't get up and go, and, and it's got to be kicked the whole way and spurred the whole way. Nobody wants to ride a horse like that. I'd rather have one that I had to hold back a little bit than to have one that I had to kick for 20 miles. Amen? Because that gets old, and it'll wear you out. Amen. You can't put that spirit in a horse, though. They either got it or they don't have it. Uh, you can inspire them a little bit with some spurs, but uh, you, you can't put that in them. They either got it or they don't have it. And, and so you've you got to understand that, that this that we have and this, this, this Holy Ghost that we've experienced and the power of God, uh, we've, got to, we've got to keep the fire burning. In, in, in fact, uh, in Leviticus chapter 6, once that fire came down and consumed that sacrifice, he said, all right, now, I don't want you to ever let that fire go out. You keep it burning. You keep putting logs on it, carrying out the ashes, whatever you got to do. Don't let the past smother it out, and don't, don't let the uh, lack of fuel and your, your responsibility of bringing logs to that fire, you, you keep putting the fuel there, and I'll keep blessing, and I'll keep moving, and I'll keep working. Don't let it go out. I'm telling you, you can't let the fire go out in your spirit you got to keep coming back to the altar you'll always need the altar it doesn't matter how long you live for God you'll always need the altar you'll always need a place where you can be rekindled and stirred up again and fired up again in Jesus you'll always need to get back to business and say God is there something in my life matter of fact I was walking down through here tonight and I say this with all sincerity I was saying God if there's anything in me because, you know, we're walking in a dirty, filthy world. If there's anything that would block the channels of the Holy Ghost, if there's anything that would clog up the well where I could not be a fresh drink of water for these good people when they come to church tonight. If there's anything in my spirit that would contaminate, I want you to remove it. Cleanse it out because we need the fire. We need the moving of the Spirit. We need the Holy Ghost to have its way. Why don't you stand with me right now? Let's lift up our voice to the Lord. Let's give praise to the Lord.
Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Come on, let's praise Him. Hallelujah. Anybody got to praise for Him? As He comes dancing up into the city, so excited about bringing this ark. Scripture says that Michael looks down out of the window. She should have been down there celebrating with the rest of them. She should have been involved and behind what was going on, supportive of her husband's desires and what he was doing for God. I'm going to tell you what. It's important that you, and this goes both ways, it's important that you support your spouse your husband or your wife in their endeavors for the things of God. Don't be a wet blanket on their passion for God. There may be a day that you'll want to see them get back involved. There might be a day if you rain on their parades, you'll want them to get on fire for God. And if you've been a, you've been a person that's not been encouragement to that, you may wish for a day that, that they were serving the Lord with that kind of passion again. So don't squelch any of that. Don't, don't rain on their parade. Because it's important that we keep it alive. But what I want to point out is the same attitude that was on Saul is found in his daughter. She, the ark's not anything to her because it wasn't anything to her daddy. Again, sir, ma'am, how we respond to the Spirit of God not only affects us, but it affects the people that we influence. Amen. That's not just our own family. That is certainly part of it, but that's others around us are affected by our passion or lack thereof for the things of God. I don't want to be apathetic when it comes to worship. Amen. When it comes to the Spirit of God. And that's not just all. When I talk about worship, I... I'm talking about sometimes worship is weeping and being broken and being sensitive. Sometimes worship is kneeling down here at this altar and letting God work on you internally and letting God root out some things. How many has ever had him root out some things? Amen. I've had, I've had the preaching of the word stir me up and convict. That's part of that conviction I was talking about. It gets down there and, just, and it won't leave us alone. It just digs around and digs around and digs around until finally we say, hey, I'm willing to yield it, God. I don't want to. I'm feeling miserable holding on to this. I'm feeling miserable, amen, not really surrendering this. And so I, I give it all at the altar, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. That's the spirit you came with. That's the spirit you'll go to heaven with. Why don't we gather around this altar?